as Frank said, my name is Scott. Um, my wife, Bree, and I, uh, we lead the Wallingford Missional Community, and quick plug for MCs, that's our word for small group. If you're not involved in one, I'd uh, love uh, to see you all get involved, and if you live in the Wallingford neighborhood, uh, do let us know. Uh, we've been in the Wallingford neighborhood for almost two years now, and we love it here, and we've been a part of this church for about one year, and it's, it's been a huge blessing to be able to call uh, this church, Hallows, our home during this time. Uh, today, uh, we are returning to the Gospel of Luke, uh, where we've been in for quite some time. Um, and Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and there's been gathering crowds around him as well. And he's been teaching them in the form of stories and parables. And these stories and parables, while directed to his audience today, uh, still uh, can teach us uh, today as well. So we're just going to dive right in, pick up where we left off, and read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So if you can grab your Bibles if you want, let's turn to Luke 16, 19 through 31, and it'll be on the screen as well. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously, great word, sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. For Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm. It has been fixed in order that those who would pass from you to here may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Uh, let's pray. Father God, would you just open our hearts to this parable this morning? Um, would your words uh, speak through me? Uh, would your truth from this passage, this uncomfortable passage about hell, uh, really just uh, shine uh, this morning. And, and would we come to know your love and your grace uh, more this morning? Amen. Does this parable make anyone else feel a little bit uncomfortable? It does for me, and that's because it's talking about our, our two favorite subjects, right? Money and hell with really on this one on a focus of hell. 
And hell is the least favorite of the doctrines of Christianity, and it's actually becoming less and less popular to talk about. Pew Research did a survey in 2001, and they found that while a relatively stable number of people across all demographics continue to believe in hell, sorry, continue to believe in heaven, that's around 75%, a decreasing number of people, around 60%, believe in hell. And I think it makes sense to us why. It's, it makes us uncomfortable to think about hell as a reality, and it makes us maybe ask the question of how would a, a good God send people to hell? And those are good questions. But if it makes us feel uncomfortable, we should not be strangers to these topics when studying the Bible because Jesus talks about them a lot. He talks about money and hell a lot. Biblical scholars like to create statistics and rank everything and throw numbers at everything. And they say that hell is the third most common topic and money is the number one most common topic that Jesus talks about. And I can attest to that to some degree. I'm preaching again in a couple months, and we're a few chapters later in Luke, and guess what he's talking about? The exact same topics. And why is this? Well, for one, these topics are important to Jesus, and they are real to Jesus. And that should be enough for us. Because they are important to Jesus, and because they are real to Jesus, they should be important and real to us, and we should not shy away from them. But even more than that, I think that Jesus talks about these topics a lot because they're actually critical. They are are foundational to a much more important, much more direct message that Jesus has for us. Because what Jesus actually talks about the most, you know, we can rank these things, but these subjects actually are building to a much more foundational subject. What Jesus actually talks about the most, more than money and more than hell, is who God is and what the kingdom of God is. Jesus' primary message in all of his teaching is that the kingdom of God is at hand now. And we now have access to God's kingdom through faith in him. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, who is God, talks mostly about God and talks about his kingdom, often contrasting earthly characters and earthly rulers with the kingdom of God and godly characters and his kingdom. Jesus emphasized that his kingdom was different. It operated by a different set of rules. And we can't fully understand the nature of God's kingdom and his deep love and grace for us and what he is inviting us to without understanding the nature of hell and the earthly kingdom. God's teaching on his kingdom would be pointless to us if it wasn't different than our kingdom here, if it wasn't different from our sin, and if there wasn't a way for us to get there. And if I could sum up Jesus' message, it would be that the kingdom of God is at hand and he's made a way for you to enter. That's the gospel message that all who believe can be a part of the kingdom. So, spoiler alert, that is what the parable is about today. It's, It's not a parable about why rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. It's a parable contrasting two very different lives with different trajectories and two very different destinies. One destiny in the perfect kingdom of God and one destiny in hell. So let's look at these two men in this life. Let's look at these two men in their death and in the life to come. 
So these two lives are obviously very uh, vastly different. Look back at the passage. The first man was rich, but not just rich. He was self-centered and self-focused in his wealth. He dressed in purple and fine linen, a dye so rare it was reserved for the royalty and the wealthy. It was the color that externally showed to everyone your wealth. He wasn't just privately wealthy, he was publicly wealthy, living a lavish lifestyle at the expense of others. In stark contrast, there was Lazarus. The only thing that he wore were, her, were his painful sores. He was so poor and crippled that he couldn't even walk and beg. But he had to be laid down by someone else at the gate of the rich man with just the hope that while this man feasted daily, he might get lucky enough to eat the scraps that fell to the ground. Moreover, even the dogs would come and lick the poor man's sores. Only the dogs paid attention to him. Now, in the eyes of the world's kingdom, which life is better, the rich man or the poor man? Of course we would say the, the rich man, and we shouldn't even be ashamed by saying that because we wouldn't want anyone to suffer like the poor man. The rich man, he, he's a somebody, right? The poor man, uh, a nobody. Externally, the rich man, is, he's doing things with his life. He, he probably went to college, got a four-year degree. He's got a meaningful career that contributes to society. He's got strong friends that he hangs out with at the pub. You know, he drives that brand new car, that, that new Rivian we all want, right? He's got exciting hobbies. He travels the world. He's, he's doing something with his life, making a name for himself. But Lazarus, in the eyes of the world, he's got nothing. You know, he's, he's a nobody. You know, probably no friends, maybe a couple other poor friends. You know, never had a job, never contributed meaningful to society. Maybe he even, you know, he feels that shame in his position. He feels like a nuisance to society. Just another obstacle for the rich man to step over as he walks through the gate to his house. To most people, in the eyes of the world, a nobody. But this is where Jesus flips the script, completely ups, upside down, and, and shows how radically different the kingdom of God is and how God views Lazarus in his kingdom. Because in our story, we, we see the one moment in all eternity that these two characters share in common. They are similar only at one point in their life, and that is their death. They share the same earthly fate of all others, no matter their difference, no matter rich, no matter poor. They die like everyone else. Now, if we were to follow this earthly narrative, the earthly story a little bit farther between these two characters, what would we read next? Well, the rich man would receive a nice funeral. Hundreds would show up. They would share their, their platitudes and how much of a good man this guy was, you know, probably to just save face and maybe get a piece of that inheritance. They'd share about his many influence and successes. You know, maybe if he would even get a, a library or something named after him. But they would take his body and lay it in a nice tomb and mark it with his name. But eventually that would fade. And for Lazarus, you know, some city workers... Would, would find him dead in the street. No one cares. They would put his body on a cart, drag it to the public dump on the edge of town, and throw it to be burned with the rest of the trash. No funeral, no burial, no nice words, invisible in death as he was in life. 
But that is not the narrative we get. Jesus does not give us the earthly perspective. He gives us the spiritual perspective, the eternal perspective, the kingdom of God narrative. And what happens in our story in this parable? Well, they wake up, and what do they see? Lazarus is is not burned in the trash, but he is lifted up, carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Lazarus is in paradise where there is no pain and suffering. As Revelation puts it, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Lazarus has been made whole. The rich man, on the other hand, he is in Hades. He is in torment in the fires of hell. Their realities have switched in God's kingdom. One has been risen up, and one has been left in torment. So why? You know, why these different destinies? Um, And this is difficult for us to wrestle with and talk about. But for one, Jesus is making a point. He's making a point that the rules of the kingdom are different from the rules of the kingdom of earth. The rules of the kingdom of God are different from the rules of the kingdom of earth. What we think is good in our own eyes doesn't matter in God's kingdom. God has flipped our expectations upside down and says, you thought you knew the destinies of these men, but you were wrong. My kingdom is different. We see this in Matthew. When Jesus first introduced the new kingdom in Matthew, what did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So Jesus is making a point that his rules in the kingdom of God are different. Secondly, and foundationally, we know that their destinies are different because of grace through faith. This is clear throughout all the scripture, right? For for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life foundationally we know that ultimately their destinies are different because of their faith. But in this parable, Jesus doesn't actually speak directly to their faith. He doesn't say the poor man believed and the rich man didn't. No, in this parable, we we get a new angle on it. Because the, the key difference between these two men, between the rich man and the poor man, is not actually their wealth. It is that one has a name. In this parable, Jesus intentionally gives the poor man a name and leaves the rich man completely nameless. And and we know this is intentional because it's the only character in all of the parables that the character has a proper name. No other parable does this. We get father, mother, brother, farmer, but no one else gets a name. And this is important because his name is Lazarus, which means God is my help. God is my salvation. So in this parable, the the reason that the rich man ended up in hell was that he was only a rich man. He did not have a name. Verse 25 says this in the parable. He had his good things in this life. The rich man received his good things in this life, and that was it. That is all he had was his riches. He relied on his riches for help. God was not his help. God was not his salvation. His his entire identity 
was that he was a rich man, and in death, all that was taken away, and he was left with nothing, not even a name in God's kingdom. Compared to the poor man, he, he wasn't just a poor man. He was Lazarus. God was his help. God was his salvation. His identity wasn't just in being a poor man. His identity was that Jesus was his help. He chose not to be defined by the hardship, but used them to draw close to God and be surrendered to God. And in death, that identity and surrender to God was amplified as he was carried to heaven. And friends, this is the first question we must ask ourselves today. Is there anything other than God or help? What is our identity in? Are we just a rich man or just a poor man? Or just a mother, a father, a doctor, an engineer, an artist, an athlete, whatever. There's so many things. And who are we when we lose those things? You know, if we are, our identity is in being an athlete, who are we when we can't play sports and compete? If we are a business person, who are we if we lose our business? Or a mother or father, what happens if we lose our children? Are we nothing then? Or is God our help and is God our identity? If we base our identity in anything other than God and God as our help, we will become nothing when we lose it. But when we base our identity in God and God as our help, it grows and grows, and that is what we will carry onto, into the next life like, Jer like Lazarus carried his name to the next life which is completely unlike the rich man, and the rich man was left in torment. So let's shift gears a little bit and, and, and look at this torment that the rich man is in and, and start to talk about you know, what this passage teaches us about hell. And, and as a caveat, we'll just be scratching the surface of the complex uh, doctrine of hell, and, and I will not be answering all of your questions, and, but I do encourage you to, to not shy away from this subject and, and to, to dive into it. But this first thing the parable teaches us is that hell is a torment of our own making. Tim Keller speaks about this a lot, and he puts it, hell is disintegration. He's purposely pronouncing it that way, disintegration. And what do we mean by that? Well, well hell is often described and described in this passage as, as what? It, it contains fire. Verse 24 says, I am in agony in this fire. And a lot of scholars, they, they believe that fire is so often used in the descriptions of hell, not because it's, you know, just painful. It's not like God's chosen way of inflicting pain. But no, fire is a metaphor. Fire is where things break down. What's, what once was full and complete and complex and designed is broken apart into its various components through the flame. And our sin, similarly, is that fire. It disintegrates us. It disintegrates us. It breaks us apart to be less and less human as God designed. So let me explain. With God, we are full. We are what, God is what holds all things together, and God, through Scripture and through general revelation, has given us the instructions for living the most full, complete, fully realized versions of ourselves. We are designed in the image of God, the imago dei, to live in accordance with God's design. 
And when we are in perfect unity with God, living as God intended, we are complete, fully integrated versions of ourselves. But when we move away from God, we break down. When we sin and live not in accordance to God's way, we are breaking that design, breaking down our intended purpose, not living as we are destined to be. And that process, that process of destruction, though it can start small with these little sins, grows deeper and deeper until we become more broken and more broken. We are disintegrating ourselves from the inside out, like a fire breaks apart a house from the inside out. And that process, that process which starts in this life, continues forever unless we have God as our helper. So hell is just the, the logical, eternal progression of sin's destru destruction and disintegration in our life. C.S. Lewis speaks about hell a lot, and if you want to dive more into the subject, I, I really encourage you to look at how C.S. Lewis talks about it. Uh, he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which is a, a fantastic allegory on, on heaven and hell, uh, and he states it this way, and I, I think we have a slide for this. Uh, other quote from Lewis. There is one. There are only two kinds of people. There it is. Thanks. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell, no, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. C.S. Lewis is spot on, in my opinion. We are either going to say to God, yes, I choose to follow you, or we say to God, no, I want to live my own life. I do not want to follow you. I want to operate by the rules of my own life. And if we say that enough, again and again and again, at some point God will say, okay, live life your way. And that is hell. That is a place where we are finally able to get away from God. And in that place, we are in torment because we are no longer with God and we are alone with our destructive sin. We see that in this parable. The rich man calls for mercy, but he is not a changed man. He does not ask for forgiveness. He does not confess his sins or wrongdoing. No, what does, he, what does he do? Let's look at verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He does not call to God, but he asks that Lazarus once again return to his second-class status and serve him. Send Lazarus to serve me. The rich man's pride, his self-centeredness, his identity of being better than everyone else is the source of his torment and disintegration, and that is only continuing in hell. He is not a changed man only continuing to move further away. C.S. Lewis also describes this process this way. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, 
always blaming others. But you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and, and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or to even enjoy it. But just the, just the grumble itself, going on forever and ever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. To paraphrase, it is not so much that God is sending us to hell, but our sin is becoming hell itself. Tim Keller has put it this way as well. Hell is locked, but from the inside. So hell is exactly what the world says freedom is. You have no God but yourself. Everything in your life revolves around you, and the more self-centered you get, the more miserable you get, the less human you get. And that is the disintegration Keller and Lewis talk about. But finally, and in conclusion as I wrap this up, there is great hope and good news. If hell is the eternal movement away from God, heaven, God's kingdom, is the eternal movement closer and closer to him. And we have full access to this kingdom of God today. That process of drawing closer to God starts today. But we need to accept it. The rich man in this parable, showing some level of compassion, then asked Abraham to send Lazarus to his family so that they may believe, so that they could enjoy his kingdom. And Abraham's response is, is interesting. He says, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let, let them listen to them. No, said, uh, the, the rich man said. No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So we don't have to wait for the right reason and the right moment to be convinced to call God our help and follow him. If you don't feel like you have enough to follow God, I, I, I get it, I'm with you, but listen to Abraham in this parable. The law and the prophets are enough. And, and what's so ironic and, and, and really prophetic about this is, is we now have so much more than the law and the prophets. We, we have that man who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. And so God is our helper. We can jump into the arms of Christ no matter how broken we are, and we can jump into his arms and have our identity fixed with him and start or continue that journey of drawing closer and closer to him from now until all of eternity. And one of the things I, I love about this parable is, on, on one hand, it, it, doesn't really it doesn't really matter if you relate more to the poor man or to the rich man at the beginning of the parable. That really doesn't matter, because in death, they are the same. What matters is if God is your helper in this life today. And that's my prayer for, for us all today. So let's, let's close in prayer. Father God, I, I just thank you for this passage, Lord. And I just ask that as, as we wrestle through these subjects, Lord, that you would remain 
our helper, Lord. That no matter what we are walking through in life, no matter that what we are dealing with, no matter, no matter what questions that we have about what's going on in the world and our faith, that you would be enough, Lord. That we would not feel like we need to wait for the right sign or the right reason to say yes to following you or saying, yes, Lord, I want to follow you again, Lord. But we would know that you are enough, Lord, and that we can call you our helper and have our identity fixed uh, in you this morning, Lord. Amen.